Hello, Oyster Bay. Welcome back. It's the third episode of the Oyster Bay Arena podcast. Sorry it's been a while. I'm a working man. Got stuff to do. Anyway, uh, we got a good guest for you this week. Mike Putnam. I bet some of you guys know Mike Putnam. Mike Putnam is a Oyster Bay resident. He is a school teacher, science teacher uh, in Manhasset. And um, all around good guy. He's also a bird watcher or birder, as they prefer to be called, and a geocacher. What's a geocacher, you wonder? Well, we're going to talk about what a geocacher is and talk a little bit about uh, birding on Long Island and geocaching, right? Um, but first, what a week, huh? We got airplanes over Bay, over Oyster Bay. We got a new turf field going in behind Vernon. Uh, two by four is not moving, and the taste of the town is coming up. Yes, I've been pulling uh, some things off the Facebook group. Um, some of you may have noticed increased airline traffic over Oyster Bay, uh, and wondered what that's all about. I certainly did last night uh, when I was trying to sleep. Uh, anyway, apparently on April first, JFK Airport started construction on. Uh, one of the runways, uh, resulting in an eight-month closure of that runway, and it's forced planes into a different approach to the airport, which, if you look at the Flight Radar 24 app, uh, shows you that they're all coming up and making a left turn and flying right over Oyster Bay, which is why there seems like it seems like there's more planes, because there are more planes. Um, another thing that uh, popped up this week Turf field behind Vernon. Um, I guess some field space is going to be added where the track is now. They're going to want to put a turf field in. Um, I think it's going to be relatively the same footprint as what's there right now, except what's in the center of that track now is grass, not turf. Um, but it's in. It's part of the school budget. Apparently, no uh, no additional tax taxes were levied, so you can vote for the for the school budget in good conscience without uh, the town going into your pocket for anything else. Um, you, by the way, there is a track behind Vernon. I don't know how many of you realize that. I certainly didn't until a couple of years ago when I was uh, co-coaching St. Dominic's uh, track for a season or two. Uh, but there is a track back there. It's pretty cool. Uh, another big issue... <laughs> On the Facebook parent group, a lot of people were freaking out about uh, 2 by 4 the uh, the uh, dog and cat boarding place um, over by the um, over by the uh, beverage center there and the wine store, that part of town. Um, I guess some folks thought they were moving over to a more residential neighborhood, but uh, uh, apparently that's not happening, so no need to worry about that. But people were certainly up in arms about that. Uh, I'm going to put in a plug now for Taste of the Town, uh, which is coming up on Friday, May 17th, 7 p.m. What is Taste of the Town? Taste of the Town is um, pretty much what it sounds like. You take the evening, uh, there's a trolley, or you can walk, and you can go around from restaurant to restaurant in Oyster Bay sampling um, different uh, the foods from different places. And there's drinks, and it's just a great night to be out in Oyster Bay. So you should make it a point of uh, trying to get out there if you can. Um, to get tickets, go to www.obenschools.org. Tickets are $65. Um, I'll post a link in the show notes to that. So when I started this podcast, my thinking was I would have a mixture of different guests, uh, community leaders, uh, business owners, politicians. Oh, speaking of which, uh, Josh Lafazan, the youngest elected politician in the history of New York State, uh, is coming to the studio on Wednesday, and we're going to have a discussion about uh, Long Island politics with an emphasis on Oyster Bay. Josh is an interesting guy. He was elected to the Syosset School Board at age 18 um, as a senior in Syosset High School, and he was uh, elected as a, uh, a county legislator about two years ago, coming up on two years and Josh has agreed to come on, and we're going we're gonna to pick his brain about what he thinks about some issues facing Long Island and some issues facing Oyster Bay particularly. Uh, anyway, um, like I was saying, I had uh, envisioned a mixture of different kinds of guests. 
uh, when I was putting this podcast together. And uh, one of the types of guests I wanted to have on were just basically people from the community who had uh, interesting hobbies or interesting uh, things that they did in their spare time. And Mike Putnam certainly qualifies as that type of person. He's um, widely traveled, um, very um, scientific-minded, and um, one of his uh, big hobbies is bird watching. And uh, he does that in Oyster Bay. And apparently there are a lot of interesting and unique birds uh, to watch here in Oyster Bay. I mean, it makes sense. We have the bay, we have estuaries and ponds, but there's also some nice hidden spots around town and in the immediate area that, uh, that Mike's going to tell us a little bit about. Uh, and also a little bit about uh, geocaching. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Mike Putnam. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, Oyster Bay. How you doing? Long time no see. I know it's been a while. I apologize. Uh, today on the arena, I have uh, a great guest, uh, Mike Putnam. He's a uh, local resident, also a uh, science teacher in uh, Manhasset. And he's going to talk to us today about uh, bird watching. Or is it is it birding? It's birding. It's birding. Yeah, okay. or bird watching. Okay. I guess I'm a bird watcher. You got to get, I like getting the technical terms. Uh, and the other thing I wanted to talk to you that I don't think we really discussed much is uh, geocaching. Oh, yeah. No, geocaching is something and, and I, I got do a, quite a bit. I got a geocaching story for you that I nice. think you're actually involved in, believe it or not. Um, I've got a couple hidden around Oyster Bay. I think I may have come <laughs> across one. Um, so uh, thanks for coming on. I oh, appreciate it. I mean, the, me. the weather's crappy today and uh, it's Easter weekend, so I'm sure... You know, you're a parent like I am, and you could be stuffing Easter baskets and doing all that stuff. So I appreciate you taking the oh, time. My pleasure. Sometimes it's good to get away from the stuffing of Easter, Absolutely. Ba- Easter baskets. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so just out of the box, like, are, how, did, how, how did you arrive in Oyster Bay? Are you an Oyster Bay native? Are you a Long Islander? I'm a Long Islander. I grew up in Kings Park. Okay. Um, home of the Kings Park Psychiatric Center. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I was like right. looming in my backyard as a kid. Um, <laughs> was it abandoned back then? Uh, it was beginning. It was the beginning of being abandoned. Um, like, so I would, it was part of just growing up in that town of, uh, you know, driving my bike through it. I had my buddies who lived on the opposite side of that. So you'd have to drive, you know, ride my bike through it. Um, no, it was an interesting place. It was a great place to explore as a kid though. It's, it's, it's fun to have uh, ruins around that you can kind of mess oh, around yeah. with. And that was uh, a, that was a wild place. That's to a hang good out. one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's all this urban spelunking that goes on. No, and that's that, right. It's like a top 10 destination. Yeah. And they don't know what to do <laughs> with it. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do with that place because it's just, it's a mess because of all the asbestos and lead, yeah. you know, they can't, I mean, it's a beautiful place. Right. Uh, I'm sure Halloween, they have to hire extra security and stuff. Because it's yeah. probably a popular destination with the kids. Yeah, and you know, and my uh, my uh, grandfather was a social studies teacher in uh, Cold Spring Harbor for forever. Mm-hmm. So as a kid, he would bring me around all of the places of Long Island, all that had any historical relevance. So William Floyd, um, Sagamore Hill. Right. His, um, my uh, grandfather's brother was the pastor at the Christ Church. Oh no, kidding! In town forever. So <laughs> and his and him, my grandfather's father played the organ there forever so my my memories of a kid were at the jericho cider mill and oh yeah coming to oyster yeah. bay and sagamore hill but he used to bring I me mean, and every weekend he'd pick me up and we'd go to someplace unique on long island that, so. that's great uh, i mean people don't realize you know you think long island's just sort of like the bedroom community in new york city but yeah. the, you know it's been settled since the 1600s there's a lot it. of history tons of history to it so what brought you uh to to live here yeah so it's my I, um, favorite question. No, by the so way. I um, actually, it's, so I I had started my teaching career out in Manorville, Eastport, South Manor, out, um, and um, I went overseas actually. Okay, so the guy student taught for, you know, I, I student taught in Southampton, and the guy student taught with said, "You better go teach overseas at some point in your life." Really, and not teaching English, just teaching at an American embassy school someplace. Wow. So I had been at Eastport, South Manor for, I think around eight years. And then I kind of got the itch because I had always traveled. I mean, I didn't travel as a kid, mm-hmm. but I in college I had opportunity to travel a bit. Uh, I went to Madagascar. Really? Which was a, which was, I mean, that was like a life changing trip as a kid. I worked with one of like the most you know like a very famous primatologist. 
She's a, and she was at Stony Brook. So she discovered a brand new species of lemur back in 1986. Wow. And, um, she, and she teaches at Stony Brook and she brought students with her every, sem- every year she brings students with her. And most of the students um, wanted to be primatologists. You know, they wanted to study with her and eventually maybe go into grad school with her. Right. Um, so I took a class with her called Primate Conservation. And um, after the class, I, I went up to her and I said, can I... Uh, I go to Madagascar with you? And she goes, <laughs> well, what's the goal here? What's the plan? I'm like, I want to be a teacher. She goes, really? She goes, but I've never had really a teacher want to come with me. Most of the time, it's primatologists. It's, right. you know, physical anthropology was the major. Mm-hmm. So I ended up going, yeah, and she ended up going, yeah, okay, let's go. That's, uh, that's great. I mean, <clears throat> what, how did you find Madagascar? Well, that was, that, was, was that like the first time you'd gone? I mean, that was pretty much my first real experience. I mean, I was 19. Wow. Yeah, I was 19 when I went. I mean, yeah, it was my first big trip, and it was a big trip, you know, so. How long was, were you over there? I was for? there for four months. Okay. Four months. I mean, and we literally, we slept in a tent. Out uh, in the field. Out in the field. Doing field work. Yeah. yeah, it was one of those where this wasn't, there was no email, there was nothing. So my parents dropped me off at JFK. I remember them both just hysterically crying. Going, <laughs> well, we, I mean, there was letters. Are we going to see you again? Yeah. yeah, you'll see me again, hopefully. And, you know, there was really no contact. So we got there, and. You know, Madagascar is an interesting country because it's one of the poorest countries in the world and the infrastructure just is, it's unlike anything I've ever seen before. So when I get off the plane, you know, just the trip to Ranamafana was the park that she set up. Right. So it was just this amazing place and got there at night and we literally were in a tent, you know, bathed in a river and all day long I just was out in the field just looking funny. I mean, everything was new. You know, that the, sounds awesome. The birds. And she had discovered this species of lemur back in 86. It was called, and she named it, it was a great story. She actually was in the field and she was, she was, um, she, she saw something that she didn't, you know, she didn't identify it. So, and then she just went and she just tried to find it and she mm-hmm. couldn't, she could not run the lemur. And it took her a couple of, <laughs> who can? I think it was a couple of weeks or months to find it again. And then she was prepared that time. And then she discovered it was a brand new species of lemur. So wow. finding a new mammal in the 20th century was a pretty big deal. So that she, is pretty crazy. So she named it the golden bamboo lemur. And she ended up setting up this national park with the Malagasy government. And um, yeah, and then she would bring students there. And she's still bringing students today. That's, yeah, that's she's still bringing, And she's, she's amazing. She's really, she's, a, she's amazing. She's a very busy woman. But, uh, what's, yeah. it, what's her name? So Dr. Patricia Wright. For sure, right. Yeah, there's been a couple. Yeah, Sunnybrook. Yeah. There's been a couple of movies that she's made. I mean, she's big time, and mm. she was really my inspiration to kind of get out there and become kind of a uh, naturalist. Yeah, you know. So, so when you uh, when you re-entered, yeah. So we were. So when I, so I know that was a little side. <laughs> so I went. So I I actually taught overseas, and I got a job in Malaysia. Mm. Yeah. So it, I thought I would have a choice. I wanted to go to Mexico teach like in Monterey and drive my car down there. Sure. Just, you know, I didn't want to go that far. <laughs> yeah. And um, when I went to this fair, it's weird how they hired. They just have these fairs that they hire. It's like a weekend event, and the superintendents and principals have these hotel rooms, and you go into their room, and you just interview right there, and they offer you jobs right there. This is from from all over the world? This is All over are, the world. Is, is it in uh, embassy schools so, or American schools and overseas? Yeah, it's all yeah. kind of, it's all sorts of schools, but primarily that they're just American curriculum schools, and... So, and actually there's a place, there's only, well, there's, there's a couple of fairs, but there's one in particular, it's in the University of Northern Iowa. That's <laughs> where they hold the fair every year. And that's where I went. And I had a plan, but when I went there, you know, there, were, there weren't any openings in my just elementary education. So they actually contacted me a couple of schools. There was a school in Brazil, mm. there was a school in the Ukraine, there was a school in Venezuela, and then there was this Malaysian school in Kuala Lumpur. And... It's really quick going. They all offered me jobs right there. Wow. So it came down, actually, it came down to uh, Venezuela, um, Maracibo, which mm-hmm. is not in Caracas, but Maracibo. And then there's other school in Kuala Lumpur. And then both of them said, you have an hour. You have an hour to just tell us no what kidding. you want to do. Like, we already contacted your references, you know, so you're good. Just tell us which one you want. So I actually went back to my hotel, I went back to my hotel room and I called my mom and I said, mom, listen. Uh, it's two choices here. It's Venezuela or it's Malaysia. And she's like, oh my God, I thought we were going to go to Mexico. I yeah. thought you were going to go to Mexico. <laughs> but, but she's like, okay, so Venezuela, that sounds, I think that's been in the news lately. It's, there's been some up, you know, there's, I think it's dangerous there. I think it's dangerous there. Cause at that time that there was, I mean, there's always been kind of civil unrest there, but right. that was the, 
what year are we talking this about? This is here? in uh, 2004. So that was, was Chavez. This is uh, the Chavez yeah, time. Chavez so years. there was, you know, so then she goes, well, I, you know, Malaysia sounds, you know, sounds exotic. Let's, so, and I had my head, I wanted everything. Malaysia was where I wanted to go. So I, I uh, called her back and I said, all right, I'm going to Malaysia. And then she's this funny thing. She goes, okay, that's great. Where the, where the F is Malaysia? <laughs> I'm like, you didn't even know where Malaysia was. What are you talking about? She goes, well, I, I knew that there was Singapore. It was close to it. So it's good shopping there. But I think that just will be safer. So I was there. I was there for two years, a uh, two-year contract. How, how long did they give you after you decided? How long until you actually went there? So that, fa that fair, they had their fair in February. Right. So you get all your ducks in a row. You know, you sign, literally you're signed, sealed, and delivered in that weekend. They have everything ready to go. And this is how these international schools are all kind of set up. I mean, it's amazing. You know, it's not teaching English. I mean, teach no, you're actually teaching regular subjects yeah. to to who? Yeah, I mean, uh, so it's expats, expats, and right. it's all embassy, embassy workers. People. So the school I was at it was called Montkiar Elementary. So Mont Montkiar School. It was a K through twelve school, and I mean, I think there were like sixty or seventy different nationalities within the school. Really cool. Then, like when the entrance of the school, they had a flag of every nationality of the kids that went there i mean i had a mongolian kid in my class wow i had i had you know japanese i had swedish i had you know, there really were no americans in my there was there was very few americans but it was just amazing but they all followed the american curriculum and so, um, so the classes were taught in english yeah, that, yeah. That, yeah but there was a high esl you know population right but um i taught second grade when i was there mm -hmm. and it was it was amazing it was i mean i mean the travel opportunities that i had when i was there just i, I can't imagine I mean, being I, in asia i mean it's uh, sort of like a hub in asia and i went everywhere yeah I, mean, I went everywhere i went to i mean i went to cambodia laos vietnam i mean i'd be on i'd be i'd go to bali for a weekend i mean it was <laughs> um, oh i missed those days yeah. but so basically i ended up um my librarians in my school were these two named jack and rosa and they had taught in canada for 30 years and they retired and they they had come to this to the school in malaysia and at one, my second year in, it wasn't my first year. My second year in, the Rosa goes, I've met, I have a nice girl who I worked with and she's moving to Malaysia and I want you to meet her. So they, these two had set up all the happy hours on Fridays. Right. So we would, well, one, one day, you know, and this, this lovely, lovely girl walks through. I'm like, Ooh, nice. <laughs> and, uh, it was Tara. It was yeah. my wife. So awesome. well, my, my wife, but it's my future wife. Right. Yeah. So we, 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 we met. Yeah, you know, we had a great year. We traveled all over the place, and then it was time to, like, what are we going to do? So I went home mm -hmm. to my job here on Long Island. Right. Um, and then she went. Still in. This was still in Manorville. Oh, no, Manorville. Yeah, Manorville. Manorville. And yeah. then she went back to Toronto. She was teaching in this nice school in Toronto. And we kind of did the, uh, the over-the-phone thing for a year mm, or so. And right. then we kind of made the choice of, like, whether I go to Toronto or she comes here to Long Island. This was a big, like, life-defining moment here. Yeah, sure. So I had to, I had, it was, it was uh, easier for her to get a job here in, the, in New York City because they would sponsor her for a visa and all that. Right. So she moved, we moved here to Long Island. So, but she had some, she had been here a couple of times and she, you know, okay, we need a nice little walkable town. Right. Okay. Have a little bit of history to it, preferably on the water. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's, I'm a, going, that's a good list. No, I mean, that was it. <laughs> and then these are, so it was, you know, Northport. You know, it was, uh, it was Port Jeff, right? It was Huntington, right? It was Oyster Bay, um, Port Washington, which mm -hmm. I didn't know much about. And, um, but she got a job in the city. You know, she was actually in Washington Heights. No, sorry. She was in, um, in East New York. So it was a tough part. Yes. Tough part. Wow. Tough part. That's different so, from Toronto. Yes. Yeah. And she was in this, like a French immersion school and you know, <laughs> it was much different. So yeah, yeah she, we uh, came here. And, and it's interesting, the choice of those towns. I mean, for I know for Aaron and I, it really came down to affordability. And Oyster Bay is kind of, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a North Shore Long Island town that, with prices that you That's are right. not like the North Shore of Long Island. That's right. Because right. like, we looked in Port Washington. No, same. Forget it. No, know? no, and, same uh, thing. No, this was, you know what? I mean, I grew up in Kings Park and, you know, I, I, I knew this area pretty well. I mean, I didn't really venture out this far west as a, you know, but this... Right. Oyster Bay, this is, couldn't have been happier because it's a great, great little town. You know, I mean, I was at the park yesterday with my kids down there and just mm -hmm. looking out over the bay. I mean, you can't beat it. Yeah, that view is like like nothing else, no, it right? Is. It is. Can't yeah. beat it. Um, but so, so you've been pretty much into the the bird 
the birding thing since I would imagine Madagascar. Well, right? it's <laughs> funny, you know, it, it's, it's, it started with my grandfather actually back when I was a kid, like he oh, would so bring way me, back. he'd bring me all over the place and we'd go hike, we'd go hiking occasionally. And I remember there was, there was like a, this, this defining moment where he pointed out a bird and you know, I, I just, when I was, you know, I just didn't, I, I didn't know birds, but right. there was a bird that I saw and he pointed it out and it was this bright red bird. Cause the only bright red bird that I ever would be aware of would be a cardinal. Yes. There was this bird that looked different than a cardinal, and I said that must be someone's pet that escaped because it looks like it's a tropical bird. Mm -hmm. And he goes, "That's a scarlet tanager." Mm. Okay, so it's one of the most beautiful birds you'll ever see, and it was here. And I said, "How could that be here? How could that? How could that be here? Here on Long Island? This isn't the Caribbean. This isn't you know the Amazon." And this is like my ten-year-old like mind thinking here. And he goes, "No, that's a bird. It's a bird that will come here, you know, in the spring and nest." We'll nest here during summertime, and then in the fall we'll go back down to where it came from, you know, and spend its winter down in the Caribbean or wherever it is. So I remember that bird. I go, wow, that's amazing because mm. it was beautiful. And then that was kind of like my little catalyst where it kind of started to tick, where I would start to open my eyes a little bit more and look. Instead of looking down at the ground, I start looking up at the trees to see if I can ever find it again. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. The more you sort of once you once you that sort of clicks for you that the there's a lot more than those little brown sparrows that that's are right. flying around in the backyard. That's right. Um, you can see some really interesting things around. No, there. I mean, that's a big piece of my classroom, too, with the kids. I'm always like, boys and girls, you got to open your eyes. you got to open your eyes. There's a lot out there. you know. And there is. And there is, especially this time of the year right now, because right now, really, we're into the big, big migration time for Long Island. So if you're a birder on Long Island, it doesn't get any better than, than these next, I'd say, you know, six to eight weeks, because you're going to have know billions of birds coming over our heads yeah uh, and that's that's i mean you wonder you know a couple of years ago we we threw a feeder out in the backyard sure. and um just because we figured the kids might you know be interested in seeing what shows up and i i didn't really expect much beyond <clears throat> the occasional bluebird and uh, but you, you sort of get a sense of when in the winter certain birds show up yeah. And so, and there has to be a pattern to that, right? And it's a migration pattern. Sure. Um, but what surprised me m most was, you know, I was getting things at that feeder in the backyard that were like, I was getting woodpeckers, sure. was, things that, birds that I would rarely ever see out just walking around, even in places like the Mountain Town Preserve or something. Nah, you know? yeah. um, so, so that kind of, kind of got me thinking about uh, about walking around and looking for these things. And I, and I do a lot of running. I run by the bay just about yeah. every weekend. And, you know, uh, in the summer, there's certain kinds of waterfowl there. And then in the winter, there's a completely different set of waterfowl. No, there is. There, there is. Yeah, um, I mean, in our bay, too, I mean, in the wintertime, from, like, December to March, it's mm -hmm. like a breed. I mean, not, there isn't any breeding, but there's so many, so many birds that there just are. use that as, like, a kind of a little respite because of just open water. It's not yes. iced up. But yeah, then it will all change though in the summertime. You know, everything is kind of always moving around. I, I noticed that for the first. I was living on Staten Island, and you know, not not what you would consider really a, a, a big wilderness area of New, yeah. of New York. But I lived near uh, Silver Lake Park, which is uh, there's a small lake uh, at the top of a hill. It's a, it used to be used as a drinking water reservoir, and in the wintertime, I would see birds there that I just. No, I mean, you know what it is <laughs> never I mean, never seen before. Some people, I mean, Central Park is one of the best places in the country, if not the world, to go birding. Mm -hmm. So if you go there today, I guarantee that you would see so many people walking around with binoculars because it is a green space. So these birds, these these migratory birds, they they travel at night because mm -hmm. it's safer for them. There's not as much danger and predators. They fly relatively low, two, three, 4,000 feet. Mm. And then... Um, they, then they drop when the sun, when the sun rises, they just drop down. So they look for a green space. So Central Park, if you ever look at, you know, overhead map of, you know, it's that, that is the green <laughs> that is space. The green space. And yes. so you get a condensed version of all these migratory birds that are there. I mean, I was checking the report this morning. I mean, there are people there and that's the beauty too. of like birding has evolved because of the phone. I mean, if there's a, yeah. if there's a bird, if there's a rare bird that's around, I mean, it's, you can, you know about it within a minute. Yeah, that's something that um, I, I read a book called The Big Year. Sure, I guess, yeah, absolutely. Which I guess was made into a movie that didn't really do so hot. I mean, had great, they, they had great people in the movie, but they I did. read that book as well, yeah. It was, it was a great book. And, uh, you know, the, the thing that, I mean, subcultures are interesting, right? Because you don't, you have very little consciousness of them until you do. And then yeah. once you do, you realize that this weird set of, uh, of 
of behaviors and, and rules that go on, you know, and I don't know how they did it before the internet, but, but, but now if there's a, an, an unusual bird in a place, you you have like hundreds of people showing up uh, with binoculars just to sort of tick it off well, the life list or, or whatever you're doing. So here's it. a funny story. I mean, I was down, I was at, I was down at Oyster, I was down at, at Roosevelt Park, you know, a couple of weeks ago with my kids riding their bikes. And I saw a couple of bird, I saw a couple of people with um, binoculars. Mm-hmm. And I saw, and I, and I instantly just went, went right over there. I said, what do you got? Mm-hmm. They go, we've got a Pacific loon. And I go, whoa, that's a great bird. So I, I keep a list. Right. So, cause I'm not, I'm not a freak with my, I'm not crazy with my list, <laughs> but I, I do have a list of every bird that I've ever seen. You know, a lot of birders. Hey, it's a life list. They're right? in it for different, some people are in it for different things. Some people would like the listing of it. Yeah. But I, I do have a list and I have 554 birds on my list. Right. Right. So that's my list. I mean, yeah. that might, I mean, there are 10,000 birds on planet earth. Right. Right. So I'm not even close to getting, getting all of them there, but how many, how many of those are in North America? So, so how many birds species? Okay. So species, I think there's about five to 600 species of birds that, that could be, I think there's about five to 600 species of birds in North America, but a lot of those are in Alaska, you know, like in the, like the Aleutian, you know, people with, right. when they have their big year, they try to find as many birds. That's, that's the competition to find as many birds in North America as possible in, in a year, in a year, right. you know, and it starts, it starts, you know, starts you know, January 1st and then it's a, I mean that, that competition is still going on. Now that's evolved to like a, a worldly competition who can see the most birds like throughout the world. It's crazy. <laughs> but this Pacific loon though, that's a great bird. I mean, you've to see mm-hmm. that bird got to be West coast. I, I mean, I know what a loon looks like and I've, yeah. I've seen him in the Bay from time to time, but um, yeah. how, who's the first person that was like, there's a Pacific loon in the Somebody, Bay. You know, there's, <laughs> there are a couple of really hardcore birders on Long Island that mm-hmm. just, they're just out and about and they just check the spots. They check, they just are constantly checking the spots out and somebody spotted it and they got it out there and it's just, you know, cause we, there's um, a couple of species, there's the red throated mm-hmm. okay, and the common loon. Right. Those are the those are the two that you can see out in the bay, right. you know, and they're big. You can, you know, and they're they're diving, they dive, mm-hmm. and but the Pacific loon looks a lot different, you know. And I I had never seen a Pacific loon before, so that was the last bird I added on my list. Nice. So, but then that that, that bird hung hung out. I mean, it was hanging out in the marina, it was really? hanging all like off a of Sagamore. It was, it was just one, just one, hmm. just one. It was hanging out. I mean, it was, I don't know what I'm not. I don't know if it was a male or a female. It's not going to have a very successful uh, breeding season. You know, I don't know what will happen to that bird. It might have been a juvenile that got lost. You know, who knows yeah. how, why it's here. But that, but that happens quite a bit even in Central Park. There's been a couple of rare birds that have just popped up and, you know, how they get here. But the word yeah. travels fast, well, though. Well, they get that mandarin duck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although, do people think that that duck was uh, an escapee from like a, a... Like the Bronx Zoo. Or, yeah, yeah. Or something I mean, like they that. always think... I mean, that's always the first... That's always kind of the first you know, is it an escapee? But right. a, lot, a lot of times the escapees are like our tag too. So mm, that's right. But, um, no, but the new, like news travels fast with it. And that's what makes it, it's like a really tight little knit, you know, tight knit world, the, the birding world. But Lo- Long Island's a great place for birding just because we just jut out into the Atlantic. Yeah. And this is a, this is an, a, a migration fly route. Right. So when the birds, you know, they like to kind of hug the coast, but then they stop it. It's here, you know, and they drop and they drop in. And so there's a lot, there's a lot of birds here you know, to, to see. And these next couple of weeks, like I said, are the best times to go out because um, this is where you get most of the species coming through just for migration time. Yeah. So you get really a lot of like diversity within the birds. So it's good. It's a good time to go out. So, I mean, there must be some places that are better than others around here to, to see them. Yeah. Um, you know, we have the first Audubon Society Refuge was in the United States, right? That, yeah. That Ro- yeah, uh, Roosevelt. Roosevelt set up, uh, which is currently undergoing some extensive Yeah, it looks like they're doing some big yeah. work over there. But they used to have a, a bunch of raptors in there. It was a raptor rescue yep. program. Yeah, those guys there. used to come to them. I used to actually, um, I used to have them come to my schools and bring their uh, birds of prey. They, they did a great birds of prey uh, yeah. program. Yeah, they, they, they had that program actually there as well. You yeah. go at yeah. night. And, yeah, yeah. Because <clears throat> uh, we went on owl prowls with them a few times yeah. when they when they did that uh, yeah. in the wintertime, which was pretty neat. Nah, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, and, and then I guess a lot of the raptors get moved over to the Bailey Arboretum. Yeah, think. yeah. I think that's where they... I've actually... Yeah, they have... They also have like a program there too. Or they mm-hmm. have, at least they have like cages over there, which I've... I've kind of seen. I've, I've I haven't been over there in a long time. That's a that's a neat place. I I, I always knew it was there. I just had never visited yeah. it until we took uh, some Cub Scouts there last year, and um, 
they have, gosh, they probably have about 10 cages with the uh, raptors in them. Yeah. Um, worth, worth a visit if you're, if you're in the area. Um, I think it's free to get in too. Yeah. Uh, a, that's the thing. There's, there's like so many little tiny places that not many people even know about or, or like what they offer. So, so you must have some favorite spots uh, around. I do. I do. You, you mind sharing a couple yeah, with us? Yeah, and, and like I risk said, that they'll be overrun by uh, I know, <laughs> I know. folks looking for birds. The birding world is a little secretive sometimes. No, but I mean, obviously, the best place to start is in Muttontown. Oh, the preserve. Preserve. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the largest preserve in Nassau County. Is it? Yeah, it's 550 acres, mm-hmm. it's, and it's got a great story behind it too. Well, you the, know, if you know the story, King, King Zog. King Zog. Yeah, tell the tale. So uh, King Zog, you know, was the king of Albania. And then in 1939, uh, the Italians invaded. And he got pushed out, and he jumped around. He had to go to Greece and Turkey, and he went to France, and he ended up in England. But the story was is that he brought all of his gold with him. He had been planning for this move, so he had all of his gold with him. So then I think it was, a, was it 1951, he uh, purchased the uh, Knollwood Estate. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's what it was called. Yep. Um, it was owned by his... I guess this this uh, Wall Street tycoon mm-hmm. Charles Hudson, right? And he and he, and he paid a hundred thousand dollars for it. Roughly. Some real money back. Yeah, no, it was, I mean it was a sixty-room mansion right in the middle of those woods. Yeah. I mean, I guess it wasn't woods then, but so um, he bought it in nineteen fifty-one, you know, and it just and he never made it over. So it right. just it just kind of just sat there, and I think he that's the crazy thing that you know yeah it just you sat spend all that money you do the renovation you know, like the, and like staff the t- yeah. and then you never just you just no, you never mean, end up coming over and it was for four or five years I think they just sat I mean I don't know if the, I don't know how long the servant you know the staff was there for but the the uh, story was that he bought it with like rubies and whatever or like a <laughs> like a suitcase of jewels but um it just kind of sat there and then it became everyone thought that's where he had hidden his treasures there that there was treasure hidden there. So it just was eventually torn down. <laughs> yeah, treasure hunters went went and trying to rip the walls down, and uh, you know, and then I think there was a fire yeah. after that, and yeah. the rest of it burned to the ground. But but what's nice is that you, if you go in there today, there's there's ruins that are still in. No, there. absolutely. You I mean, know? there's a. I mean, you know, just one last thing about Kings Out. Yeah, yeah. This go. is kind of sure. You know that at one point they thought he was the he was the heaviest smoker in the world that he would smoke over 200 cigarettes a day. Did you know that? I did not <laughs> I had know no that. idea. I, I did a little research on King Zog, but that, that, that was his uh, claim to fame. <laughs> yeah. But we, I mean, if you go into Muttontown and I've been, it took me a long time to figure out Muttontown because the trail system is just whoever designed that trail system. I don't know what they were <laughs> thinking, but um, it's gets, it's a very easy place to get lost. It sure is. And I've run into many people who are just, where, how do I get out of here? <laughs> you know, but there's a, there's yeah. a naturalist that actually, um, he, he actually works there still. He's only there on Sunday mornings. His name is Chris. Mm-hmm. And you can find him in the nature center. Right. He's the nicest guy. Um, and so when I first started, this was, this was not pre-kids, but this was when my kids would nap. So mm-hmm. I had time to get out. Right. So I'd spend my Sunday mornings. I, I would, I would uh, go down there. And he was really a nice guy. And he would, I'll show you around because this is an easy place to get lost. So he'd show me around, you know, and, and I learned the trails. And I learned kind of like the neat little places to go and, and yeah, I mean, that to me is one of the best places because it has fields, it has woods, you know, fields are tough to come by on Long Island. I mean, they granted, are. you got the farm, you have farmland, but you know, fields are tough to come by. You've got a lot of like glacial kind of, you have like cames, mm-hmm. which are like little hills. You've got ponds, little vernal ponds, you have kettle ponds. You've got so much going on there. So it's a really good place to kind of see a lot of diversity. And, um, and I've had a lot of success there with birds. What do you see in there that's a little out of the ordinary? So that's that's my so I have well first off wood ducks wood ducks a, okay a, a wood duck is one of the most beautiful ducks there are if you mm-hmm. haven't seen a wood duck check it out you know Google wood duck and right. get get a, a picture because they're really beautiful but they're super skittish mm-hmm. so when you kind of like you know and not many people are in Mutton Town you know really there's not a lot of people there so it's a good spot and yeah. but whenever you kind of come across a wood duck they fly away really quickly and they scare, you know, they, they, they it's scary because their, their wings beating together loud. It always scares me whenever I run into a wood duck because they surprise me just as so I they, surprise them. <laughs> do they stay near water or? Yeah. They... The, yeah. I've, I've always just seen them in the little vernal ponds. Are all ducks waterfowl? Is that? 
the characteristic of a I would duck. Suspect, yeah, it I needs would, to yeah, be water would, involved I would, somehow. I would suspect that that's yeah. probably it, right? Yeah, there are little uh, little ponds sort of dotted throughout that place, and I, I remember. I think the, the the guy you were talking about was his name, Chris. Yeah, his name is yeah. Chris. Yeah, I think he took uh, a group of scouts. We had a yeah. thing, and he took us around and showed us some edible plants. And yeah, no, he, he's a he's, he a, really he's knows a plant guy. Stuff. He is yeah. he's a plant guy. Yeah, so he knows all the edible plants. He knows all. He's a he's a wildflower guy there. But he's he's there on Sunday mornings. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm not sure the name of it's the it's the nature center that's right off of Mutton Town Road. So, right. Um, right off 106. Yeah. You know, and he's super friendly because a lot of times he just is sitting in there on Sunday mornings. <laughs> and if you, you know, bring him a coffee, maybe he'll, he'll show you some things because he's always been super friendly to me. But I always go, so Mutton Town is a great spot for now because you see birds, you know, in, in April, May, and June. There's some birds there that you can see. There's, there's one called the Rose-Breasted Grosbeak, kind mm. of a strange name, but it's a, it's a migratory bird. It's a larger migratory bird. But it's beautiful. It has this big kind of red kind of blotch on its chest. Um, and I've, I see so many of them in there. And that's a bird that you just don't see any other really. I mean, in my experience, it's, it's just a tough bird to see. Was that a, a where, where would you find that in there? In a field or in the, in the No, woods? that one's up usually just in the woodlands, yeah, okay. up in the trees. Mo- most of these are up in the trees, you know. And there's a lot of warblers. So warblers are like, that's like the prize of migratory season. There's all these, there's, there's, I think there's in the the twenties of just my uh, warbler species. Is that name uh, for the sound they make? I, that's a good or question. I, I would suspect it has to be. Sounds yeah. like an onomatopoeia a little yeah, bit there. Yeah, you know, but there's, but there's a couple. So there's a bird though that, you know, I talked, I talked earlier about the scarlet tanager, but there's another yes. bird called the Blackburnian warbler, which is a bird that I saw later on too. And this was, this, this bird is just amazing. It's like a fiery red, orange color. Mm-hmm. And um, that bird, I've seen that bird there, and you know, and Mutton Town has a has a really unique kind of uh, warbler called the blue winged warbler, and they actually breed there, mm. which, which is kind of cool because a lot of these birds they they don't, they don't breed here on Long Island. They'll continue going up north, like up to the boreal forests of Canada. Like that's the, this is just a stopping point. So so this time of year is is breeding season. This is birds, uh, yeah, right? this is breeding season. You know, you you can hear them at four or five o'clock in the morning, you know, um, you know, and they start building nests and I have a couple of nests right out front, yeah. you know, there's a, a bluebird out there, uh, or blue jay rather blue than jay. a bluebird. Yeah. Although we get bluebirds here too. Well, bluebirds, yeah. yeah. I, I, I have my spot to go see bluebirds. You do? I will tell you. Okay. So Sagamore Hill, that's, yeah. the, that Sagamore Hill is a great spot. I mean, that, that's like my, that is one of my favorite spots on planet earth. Just talk about some open fields. I just mean, open fields. Yeah. And the fact that it's just is Roosevelt's home. I mean, Roosevelt, yes. Roosevelt's story is the best. I mean, as a kid, you know, he was, you know, he was always into nature and birds were like his real passion. He, he loved He stuffed birds. a lot of them. He did. He did. He had his own little, uh, he was quite the taxi natural uh, museum going, but he, yeah. you know, so whenever I go to Sagamore Hill and I love going to Sagamore Hill, I, that was the spot where I brought my kids, um, first, we just do that, do that beach trail. Uh, yeah, that's Eel a Creek. beautiful trail. Yep. You know, I, I haven't had ever a lot of success with birds there. Mm-hmm. You know, I, was, I see a lot of deer in there. Deer, yeah. yeah deer and, and foxes. Yeah. yeah. But bluebirds though, that's a bird that I see there quite a bit. And that's a great bird. I mean, that's our, that's our state bird, you know, but, um, hmm. so yeah, it's, a, it's, it's a I great wonder how bird. many people know that. Oh, it's, uh, <laughs> there you go. It's state bird, bluebird. Looks totally different from a blue jay too. No, it does. Yeah. 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 So that's that's where I go to see those. I mean, that Sagamore Hill is a good spot to just to go check out. But there's not. A, I mean, like I said, I haven't had a lot of success with like bird, like seeing like warblers there. But I mean, there's got to be good stuff there. But you know, you have to you have to be in the spots and check right. check them out. It's just a it's a cool environment just to kind of hang out in it know, with all the history. Uh, and they've done a really nice job of preserving the feel of the Roosevelt family definitely. still being at the property almost. You no, know, you can, and it wasn't so long ago that you can't imagine what it was like back then um so w- one thing i've noticed a lot of lately is uh hawks and ospreys and turkey vultures turkey vultures um and w- when i was growing and i grew up around here I-, sure. I actually grew up right near the mutton town preserve so i was in there all the time sure. and i still get lost in there whenever i go in there there there's places i've been to that i am unable to find <laughs> when i go back um but um just i remember when i was a kid if you saw a hawk on Long Island, it was it was an amazing thing because yeah. there was just nothing here. Yeah. And and now it seems like the ospreys are all over the place. The hawks are everywhere. Turkey vultures, which I'd never seen around here, are are here in a plenty. Uh, does that speak to sort of the the resurgence of the environment along the Sound and and along the island 
as a whole, or is there some other reason that all of a sudden we're getting all this all this resurgence in, in yeah, the larger birds? It's interesting because, I mean, the one hawk that you could always count on to see was always going to be the red-tailed hawk. Mm-hmm. That one was always kind of here. As a kid, I remember seeing them. I grew up on, you know, Kings Park, the Santa Coast Parkway up there. Yeah, I guess like out there, probably a little further east. It, That's true. It was a little more rural back then. You know? Yeah, you always see them hanging out on, you know, just like on, a, on, a, on like a light pole. Yeah, know, along the highway because right. there's open space there. Mm-hmm. They can see rabbits and you know rodents and things. You know, but the osprey just is really interesting because they've just done a huge comeback. You know, they went through their you know DDT days, I think. Yeah. And but I think what happened you know, on Long Island is that you know obviously everybody wants waterfront property. You know, and they really rely on kind of like just snags, like trees, just on the waterfront. Mm-hmm. You know, and those get chopped down because right. people want to build their build their homes. So the idea of just putting those telephone poles with the platform on top, yeah, you know, that's given those ospreys kind of like a habitat home. You know, I mean, look at down at Roosevelt Park. There's all there's there are two ospreys right at the right at the turf field. Yep, they've built this incredible right nest. On they, one of the light poles, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. up up in the lights. Yeah, I mean, they just have they've just I guess they've adapted to just making their nests now and kind of using the space available to them, but. Yeah, and the ospreys are great to see, and you know, and the os- ospreys come back. Um, you know, right? they're like one of the first birds to come back. Like they mm-hmm. come back in March. So I, when I saw those ospreys back down at the park, I was like, "Yes, it's you know, I mean, yeah, w- spring is right around yeah, the corner. Winter is ending. Yeah. You know, ospreys are really a really interesting bird because they mate for life, mm. but when they when they go back down south, they will go their own way. Mm. So the male and female kind of separate. Get, taking a little time to yeah, themselves. It sounds like the best. That sounds like a great, <laughs> yeah, right. great marriage. But then they'll meet back up. Yeah, they'll meet back up in the in March. So they got about six months on, six months off. So when do they leave? Because I've noticed, you know, they're they're sort of ubiquitous in the early part of the summer. You see them flying yeah. around with fish in their talons yeah. and stuff, which is really neat. And then it seems like by mid to late summer, they're yeah, gone, usually yeah. You know. I think you know, I think around like se- September. Okay, is it that late? O- yeah, October. Yeah. You know, and they'll and they'll raise. They, they probably have eggs, you know, up, I mean, they're probably, I mean, they definitely built their nest or they mm-hmm. kind of fix up their nest. Cause I keep seeing the ospreys come through, um, you know, with the building material. Right. Um, so I'm not sure if they have eggs up there just yet or not, but they'll, they'll raise a couple of young and hopefully they'll survive. And yeah. And then you know, they usually are out of there around September, mm. October, you know, really interesting. So like the big news in the birding world of Long Island, and I don't know if, if, if you haven't seen it yet you have to go it's in centerport so there's a bald eagle oh really yeah so right on centerport I was just gonna ask about the bald eagle. yeah right on 25a i mean you know it's 20 minutes from here right across um from the centerport post office right on 25a you know right when you make the left going down to it's vanderbilt got a, it's got a nest there? it's a huge nest really? so well bald eagle nests i mean yeah. they can weigh thousands they're massive you know, yeah they're huge um you can see it and it's become a big deal and even the local it's been a big deal because they're trying to manage about the photographers and about just people disturbing the local people who live. I mean, it's, it's yeah. become, there's a whole Facebook page just dedicated to the Centerport Eagles. Really? But they came back and now they've got actually, I think, two babies. Hmm. And so, I mean, is, guys, is that not a native species to the island? I'm, I'm not sure about the, I'm not sure, you know, the history of the bald eagle, to be honest with you, on Long yeah. Island. I know that. They were, I've even, you know, 10, 20 years ago, I know that there were bald eagles um, at Connecticut State mm-hmm. Park that they, out, out in Suffolk, that there would be a, an occasional bald eagle sighting out yes. there. But as for them nesting, you know, here on Long Island, that's, yeah. I think that's a relatively newer thing. Like I said, I'm not sure what the history of it though, but it's, a, it's if you've not seen a bald eagle in action, I mean, it's pretty amazing because... I mean, the pictures that are coming back from this, I mean, they, this morning they had one, I mean, I guess it's, it's very Easter appropriate, but I think it was the male who had a rabbit, you know, in his <laughs> talons and um, the female had an eel. Oh, yeah. Wow. I mean, just really, really, they're, really uh, cool. They're very big birds. It's huge. Yeah, yeah, no, I huge. I saw a few when I was uh, canoeing in Maine a couple of years now ago. Just kinda... When you see one, you know, I drive, we, I've, we uh, take a lot of road trips and go upstate quite a bit. And um, sometimes I'll I'll see one flying. Mm-hmm. I'm always like, bald eagle, you know, like 
kids just point out to the kids because you, you know they're very identifiable in, they, in they the are. wild. It's spectacular to see in the Yo, wild. But back to your turkey vulture, yeah. that that's really interesting because the turkey vultures they never were this. I, I don't remember ever seeing turkey vultures yeah. so long island, but now within the past you know three five years they're all over the place. Mm-hmm. So I don't. I mean. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, or I mean, maybe the species is just moving further south. You know, it's more roadkill. Yeah, I, don't I mean, know. no, it's, yeah. The I, well, I mean, they they've been sort of working their way up from the south because uh, I have relatives in Virginia, okay. and they were never okay. really down there much. And yeah, then the last true. few years, they've been all over the place there, yeah. and they're kind of a nuisance. I think a lot of people see them as a bit of a nuisance. And, scavengers, though, but yeah. they're actually great. They're actually great for the environment oh, yeah. because they do all the cleanup, right? You know, they do all the cleanup. I thought actually somebody had told me I think it was the water thing for them. Like they just they don't they're not a big water. They weren't a, they huh. weren't a fan of water, so that's why they might not have been a Long Island. I don't know. I'm, yeah. yeah, I don't like to distribute false information. Yeah, right. There. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> As a teacher, that's my big thing. I'm like, make sure it's correct. So yeah. I'm not I'm, I'm not sure if that's the true story of that, but right. I thought somebody had told me that it was a water thing for them. That's interesting. Yeah, but they're expanding though they're expanding their range though definitely because i've I don't, I don't ever remember seeing any turkey vultures and now now they're all over we do have plenty of owls here though now owls are owls owls are my favorite but it's just tough to ever see you know i mean so i know that there's a you know there's um eastern screech you know mm-hmm. and you get great horns yeah now one of my favorite things to do in the winter time is i like going to jones beach yeah, um, Jones Beach is like the best. A lot spot. Of, I've seen a lot of guys down there with uh, binoculars and yeah. monoculars. And West stuff. End too. Yeah. It's where the fishermen go. Right. So that place is a, that place. Um, there's like scrub pine that's there. Mm-hmm. It just juts out, and that place is one of the best places. I mean, I've had I've had days there where I've had 15 species of warbler, and it's all wow. ground level because the trees they're just like scrub oaks. They're just gnarled. Oh, actually, scrub pines. I think. Mm-hmm. And I've had days where there's just, it's like, it literally is like looking at a Christmas tree, a bright no blue, bright yellow. I mean, amazing. And, um, but what did I just, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. What did I just oh, okay. So, so that is the best place. So snowy owls. Oh, really? Oh, Those my, are the white ones? Yeah. Yeah. So they are amazing. Is that, but, are they there hunting well, the other birds? They're never, or? it's never a good, um, apparently it's never a really a good thing if you see a snowy owl there because it means they've got to come further south. Like yeah, they're, they're, it's not their normal. Their whole diet grounds. consists on lemmings up and up up north. So mm. when there's not enough lemmings, the, the, when the lemming populations crash, which, which I guess happens occasionally, right? The the snowy owls have to come further south. So it's mm. like super stressful for them to fly all that far, to yeah. fly that way. But and this is where you get into a weird world with birders. Is that you know there's a lot of photographers. Yes, and the photographers. They kind of, some, I've, I've actually seen them, you know, hassle these birds because the birds stress beyond belief because it flew so like, far. So they hassle them so they can get a better shot. They want, they, yeah. they want the money shot. Right. You know, they want to be on the cover of National Geographic. So I've, I've seen actually photographers. I mean, listen, and most photographers are, are great. You know, they're just there. Right. It's a hobby and they want to get great pictures of like, a, I mean, literally a beautiful bird. But I've seen photographers bring like mice Oh. And like release a mouse, you know, to get that like in flight shot. Cause really the bird shouldn't be moved. You know, you don't, every time that bird moves, it's exerting energy. Yes. Are they nocturnal or? They- no, those are diurnal actually. Really? They're, yeah. They're diurnal. So what happens though in the birding world though, is that if you go down there and you ask like, are there any snowies down there? People will not tell you. They don't want to tell you. It's very, you know, it's, but I mean, you can usually see cause you'll see it, people just standing around like looking at one. <laughs> But yeah, um, usually, you know, and I don't know, I mean, I, I actually didn't go down, I didn't make it down there this uh, winter, but um, yeah, that's a, that, that's an amazing bird to see. Hmm. And one of the best places, they're just on the dunes, you know, they're just on the dunes down at Jones Beach. It's a really cool place to go. I mean, you also get a lot of plovers and seabirds yeah. and the like, so yeah. you kill two birds with one stone no, you get a lot. pardon the pun. No, yeah. <laughs> um, I had an owl encounter here in Oyster Bay about two years ago now, probably two years ago this month. Uh, I was out for a morning run and I was coming around, you know, where the, uh, where the pa- bike path starts at the end of Beekman beach sure. going up to yeah. Bayville. Yeah. And, uh, I saw something out of the corner of my eye and it was a, it was a horned owl That's awesome. just sitting on the ground. Uh, with its eye was a little mangled. Oh. So I, um, it's like, huh, that's interesting. I, I finished the run. I get, got in the car, I got a box. I brought Aaron's pair of gloves. And, um, well, first I called, I first I called the police <laughs> I said, there's an injured owl. And he's like, oh, here's a phone number for, for this, these folks that 
sure, yeah, deal with re- injured owls. Rehabilitators, yeah. So, but but I mean, the thing was, was giant. It was uh, big. Yeah, it was at least a couple of feet tall, yeah, yeah. and he was definitely whatever he'd flew, flown into that that caused the eye to go to go bad. It definitely rung his bell a little bit because he sure. was like post concussive. Yeah, um, but we managed to pick him up gingerly and get That's him awesome. into a box because you know the, the claws are the talons really, are yeah, yeah they'll, that, they'll crush you. <laughs> that, that, that bird could mess you up if if it wanted Big time. to. Big time. Uh, and then I met some guy in the from from the owl rescue group in the parking lot of the Millerage Inn, and we. I handed handed off the owl in the box. It looked like really shady, but uh, uh, and then I guess there's a a vet in East Norwich who who does wildlife rehab. Yeah, I saw that actually. Somebody, yeah. I guess she's very open. You know, she'll like take anything in. Yeah, yeah and awesome. uh, and you know, I, I guess he went off to a sanctuary because the eye was gone. And well, that's the thing. There's too. no like, hunting he could do after that. Yeah, and that's know? the thing. Like like most of those birds in the Audubon, those are injured birds. Yes, so they right. use those. I mean, and that bird, you know. I mean, granted, I'd much rather it be just wild out there, but that bird, they use those birds just for yeah. educational kind of purposes, you know, get the kids, get get people seeing them. Yeah. yeah so anytime you get lost an eye, you know, that you have no depth perception, nah, which nah, is tough to be out. a hunter, yeah. you know, with no depth perception. But um, so it's, have you noticed um, in terms of all birds, like is, um, is the level of variety of, of what you can see around here, um, how, how would you put it? Is it, is it a good variety? Uh, are, are we blessed with a, a large number of different species here or are we just kind of on the lower end there? No, I mean, I mean, in my experiences, I mean, you've, you get a great variety of birds here, mm-hmm. you know, you just got to go out and look. I mean, it's hard because like another good spot to go is, um, shoe swamp. Okay. Right. That's a, that is that if you've not been over in that area over there, I highly recommend everybody try and go down to Shoe Swamp. It's a really neat place. Yeah, it's the Charles Church Preserve. Mm-hmm. Um, what that's in Mill Mill Neck. Mill Neck. Mill yes. Neck. Yeah, I mean it's a beautiful spot. I mean, there's literally a trout stream that runs. Beaver Brook runs right through it. That's there are right. there are brown trout in that in that stream. But you know what it is, and that that uh, that um preserve has a lot of tulip trees. Yes. Right. So they've, but they, they're hundreds of feet. I mean, like, like mm-hmm. there was a sign there for a long time that it was the tallest tulip in New York state. I saw that 160 yeah. feet tall. So it's hard to go birding. It's, <laughs> it's like hard to go birding there, especially, you know, now is a good time because the leaves haven't come on the trees yet. Right. But in a couple of weeks, the leaves are on the trees and they're way up there. Yeah, in the canopy. It's, it's, it's just hard. It, yeah. it is. It's hard to see. That's why, you know, Jones beach West end too is a good spot. That's why Central Park's a great spot because you just have so many people that are out there mm-hmm. looking. So, I mean, I've had days in Mutton Town Preserve where I've had easily 50, 60, 70 species of birds. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, and that's just me for a couple hours out there just, just looking. I mean, you get a lot of variety there. You know, in Shoe Swamp, once again, that just is a great place. I mean, I haven't had you know, the amount of diversity of birds there that I've, but, but I've seen some really good things there. You know, I've seen a lot of you know, really cool warbler species that have, that I've seen there and um, some good ducks there. There's uh, some blackbirds that are coming through there that are, um, it's also a nice compact trail. You can it make, is. make the circuit in you know, half an hour. Now it is. So, um, there also may be a, a geocache in there. There's a couple right? in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a couple in there. Yeah. Aaron and I, uh, we had the kids there once, and, and Aaron likes to take pictures of gnarled tree roots. And so there was a particular tree there that had fallen over, and she was <laughs> went in to take a picture of these these roots, and she's like, what is that? And put it to her hand, and pulls out a box. And uh, we were like, that's the weirdest thing. I mean, we didn't know anything about geocaching yeah, at, the, yeah. at the time, and we popped it open, and, the, and there's like a whole bunch of little, little things in there, a little notebook and yeah. stuff. And um so, we, you know, we're standing there in the forest, like wondering, you know, was, did this box just, did somebody put it underneath the tree and then the tree grew around it, but then it would have to be like 200 years old. So that kind of got us onto the, the geocaching thing where we um, realized there's a bunch of apps out there that yeah. show like vaguely the GPS positioning of, of the box and so on. And, um, Somebody later told me that you would put that. That's one mine. It's called, a- <laughs> yeah. So that was the first geocache that we had ever hidden with my kids. You know what it is? I wanted my kids to be able to hike, and then when, when I, I like, I want them to hike. Right. And as a kid, and when they were little, they we would go to Shoe Swamp, mm-hmm. and we go for a hike. And about five minutes into it, they'd be screaming and crying right. on the ground, right. like we want to go home. It's buggy. It's this. Mm-hmm. So I was like, how are we gonna? How am I gonna get them 
you know, and I can only bribe them so much with Bonanza ices, yeah. you know, and <laughs> right. So I, I, somebody I work with, you know, she, she was, I, I saw that uh, she was into geocaching and basically it's just hiding little Tupperware containers, mm-hmm. not, not always, but hiding them out into the woods, you know, linked to a GPS. Um, and then you go find them and mm-hmm. then there's clues and, you know, you, you, you can give your uh, geocache a story. So that was the first one that I ever hit and I named it wood thrush, uh-huh. which is, a beautiful bird that li- I've had, there's like tons of them within Shu Swamp and they've got an, an amazing call where it's, it's just this like tinny kind of sound that it kind of like haunts the woods. And I, I call it the, I call it the wood thrush. Cool. Um, yeah, but geocaching is a great, so, so that actually got my kids into hiking because in some of these geocaches, there are, you know, treasures. Right. So we go find the treasure. So that they got really into it and that actually was that actually got them into hiking. Yeah. Then we ended up hiding a bunch of our own. Um, we have a bunch down actually at Teddy Roosevelt park. Mm. Um, one that's named after Roosevelt called the 26th president. There's a couple, actually there's one that starts at, at the, uh, at the bike. Oh really? Yeah. There's one right, right there at the bike path. To- is there, there's one. At, is there one out on those, uh, those rocks? So or no, 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 but there are okay. actually along the bike path. There are somebody planted, so there's, I think there's like 30 of them. Oh, they're, really? They're a little mag... Well, I shouldn't give it away, actually, because yeah. I'm sorry. The yeah, yeah. But there's like 30 of them um, that are planted along, along that bike path. Because like, the rule is like you can't bury them, and you they have to be 500 feet apart from one another. Oh. So every 500 feet, this person planted one. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, so it's really... It's a, it's a great walk, great day to go, yeah, and you can go check them out. Next time I go running over there. It's a, it's, and, and, all, and all you need for it, and that's the beauty too. That's why I like to, you know, birding, you need a pair of binoculars. And yeah. You don't even need a pair of binoculars. And for geocaching, you need an, an app. Right. It's the, it's What's just, the best app? It's the geocache app. Yeah, okay. just the ge- geocaching.com. And that's, I'll throw a link in the show notes. So honestly, if you want to go hiking with your kids and they don't want to go, they don't like going into the woods, geocaching is such a, such a good thing to do. Because yeah, um, you can say, hey, we're going hiking, and they, nobody wants to go. But if no. you say we're going treasure hunting, that's oh, right. yeah, the car, and they're right in the car. There are, I think, yeah. there are at least 30 geocaches in Muttontown Preserve. Really? There's tons of them there because it's, it's tons of them. If you look at the map, it's cool when you see the map, the all little dots of mm-hmm. all the geocaches. There's tons of them there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a good thing, you know, if you want to get your kids out there. We found another one in Shoe Swamp, but it was, uh, you know, Aaron and I were, uh, were just going for a walk by ourselves, and we, we were we ended up having a bushwhack through the, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the yeah, yeah. forest and underneath these roots and st- I was well. There's was one crazy. guy. There, there's a guy, local guy, and his his like his I don't know, what's his name? I don't know, like like your your geocaching call name, but it's called okay. his his uh, mush mushnickus. Okay, this guy makes his own. Uh huh. I mean, mine are just Tupperware containers. Yes, but there, but okay. So this one that we found was like it was a fake log yeah, that yeah, was hollowed yeah, out yeah, and yeah. stuff. Yeah. This this uh guy, I don't know this guy. I've never met him. I just know whenever he puts one out. My my kids actually do not like Mushnikus geocaches because there's no there's no treasures in them. Oh, right. He just makes his kind of yeah, out of like of yeah, his neat. his are amazing. I mean, the, and he's got a bunch actually. He has a couple in, uh, in a Cold Spring Harbor lab mm-hmm. that are just out of this world. Really. The guys, the guys, you know, he's I'd love to see his little wow. work his like his like, workshop of like how he does it, but yeah, so geo geocaching is a good thing to do, especially if you uh, want to get out there with your kids in the woods. <laughs> it's a great great time of year to be uh, just getting into that stuff because yeah. it's you know the weather's getting better and everybody's going outside. So, any other spots that we haven't talked about? Well, you know, there's like there's another spot. It's called and you know there's there's a group called the North Shore Land Alliance. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is a group they just. They they buy up properties. They just bought the uh, that Japanese garden. Uh, that stroll garden, yeah. yeah. The uh, the uh, Hume Estate, I think, is what it yeah. was. Just so on the very, I don't know if the su- I'm bad with directions. So the southern portion of Shoe Swamp, right? Um, yeah. So they actually have a couple of little preserves that are just scattered around here, and one of them is called the Islin Goddard Preserve. Hmm. And you would it's 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 off of um, Chicken Valley Road in Old Brookville. You would drive by it a million times. You'd never know it's there, and it is. It's, I think it's 40 acres. It was, it was an old, I'm, I'm, I'm actually not sure of the history. Islin Goddard, though, I, I looked her up. She was the first woman to compete in the America's Cup. Okay. She like lived in Long, she lived on Long Island for a while. I'm not sure like, you know, why, why it's named after her or not. But um, this is a cool little spot to go because it has like a, has a big field and then it has 
a um, oak kind of forest or a white pine forest. Now, there's something there that is really unique. And this is a weird kind of, I mean, like I said, this is like a secretive kind of topic here. Right. They've, but there are orchids there. Mm. So wild orchids. There's one particular species called the pink lady slippers, which oh. is like this amazingly beautiful orchid. And it's, it only grows in certain, you know, orchids are really tricky to grow. You know, they, they need yeah. like a very specific kind of situation. Hard to keep alive. They I are very hard to keep alive. Killed and, a few of them myself. No, and people, you know, the, these 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 uh, pink lady slippers, they're found all over the place. There's I, there's a there's a little piece of Buttontown Preserve that that has them. This um this uh, Island Goddard has them. Planting fields. There's mm-hmm. some really cool. There's some really if you get off the beaten path in planting fields, there's some great trails. Yeah, there are these pink lady slippers that are all over the place, and, and people don't really want to tell where the pink lady slippers are because there are people that go and they dig them up, dig them up, they yeah. dig them up. And then I actually have seen this where I've just seen holes in the ground. Yeah, that's it's, too it's bad. terrible. I mean, yeah. it's really terrible. But these, when, when, when you see a pink lady slipper for the first time, it's like really, really a cool thing. So this Island Goddard preserve, this is, um, a really, really kind of, and that's what chicken place. Valley road. Yeah. Just chicken Valley road. And it's, it's weird how many little, little preserves there are like back in that area, like in mill, um, mill, um, Milnick. Yeah, no. You know, because when, you, when you're when you going, um, start starting to head towards Bayville and you get to that first traffic light along the um, the, ro- yeah. the seawall, yep. and you make that left. That's right. You go down there and there's a huge pond. That pond, uh, which is off to your right, is attached to a, a preserve. You, I, I'm not sure if we're talking about the same one or not, but you go in there and it's, it's there's also ruins of like an old mill in there. Yeah. And there's a little dam and... Uh, so yeah, see, even places I haven't even like haven't even stumbled. Upon <laughs> I, just, I just stumbled upon it a couple of years ago and and brought the kids in there. Got to watch out for ticks in there. I know that's yeah. that's the piece here, yeah. you know. But there's another place um, right on 25A. It's called the Cordelia Hepburn Cushman Preserve. Yeah. It's like right, so right, really. <laughs> Never heard of that one. Berry Hill. Make make the left on 25A. Yeah. Go down a quarter of a mile. There's a little Cushman Drive. Oh yes. Make it right into it. It's it's. I've seen like, that. It's like 20 acres. Yeah. It's just, but it was once again. I think it's one of the North Shoreland Alliance places where they just have just had this nice little trail. It's good birds. It's is really good. You know, and once again, those like pink lace slippers are just like they're like hmm. loaded in there. And does this be neat if they had of, a map of where these places are? They yeah, must, so, right? Well, I, I mean, yeah. I, I was on their website. When they were taking over the uh, the Japanese stroll garden, and you know they have stuff listed, but you know, it's like it's kind of hard well, to find, which so, is not necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes I think that they don't really want. Yeah, right, like, right. Well, actually, a couple of years ago, you know, so the back to the geocaching, I actually hit a geocache in that in the stroll garden. Right. I wanted to be the first one there. Okay. And I got a I got a message about <laughs> an hour later. You need to remove the geocache really? ASAP. So, and, or they they wanted to know where it was, so I wasn't going to tell them where it was. So yeah. I actually went there at night. And I bushwhacked <laughs> and I got it out. But um, yeah, it's there are like coffin woods. I mean, there's tons of little tiny yeah. places that are just scattered around. But you know, this we're lucky though to have these little places that are preserved. You know, it's good. They're just good spots to go hiking. Tick so. That's the problem, though. Yeah. Ticks are bad news these days. Yeah, they're and, all over the place. And they've scared, I mean, they've kind of scared me out of it a little bit, you know, now. I still go in. I don't, it's not a reason, I, I still go hiking, and I'm not going to, like, stop hiking. Cause right. I, but I'm less inclined to wander too far off the path. That's true. Though, no, that that, that is true. Like, I do stay on the path. Um, You know, I just do, like, the major tick check <laughs> when we're yeah. done. That's it. Oh, the thing is, though, they're so small that, they're easy to no, miss. That's I it. Know. I mean, we had a, a scout thing in the Muttontown Preserve, and we slept overnight, and we went on a sort of a dusk hike. And uh, it's weird with ticks because some kids, the ticks seem to gravitate towards. Like yeah. we pulled seven <laughs> off of one kid, and then nobody else had one on them. So no. very weird. No, ticks are bad. Ticks. It's, I mean, I'm hoping if they have the like vaccinations for dogs. Yeah, I have that's got to come out soon. <laughs> that's Let's like hope one, so. I really, yeah. I'm really hoping. It seems like they're taking over Long Island. Well, Mike, I think you shared a lot of really good, good information. Uh, I learned a lot, and I'm certainly going to go out and visit some of those spots. Yeah, no, thanks, so, Mark. Uh, thanks thanks for again me. for coming in. And uh, you know, this is kind of what I'm 
what I'm trying to do with this podcast. I'm trying to get folks in who have uh, knowledge of things you can do in the area that you know most people may not be aware of. So yeah. you're you're a great fit. And, no, and, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, like I said, there's a lot of good opportunities to get out um, here in Oyster Bay. So yeah, take advantage. Go you outside. Know, Everybody, go outside. You know, it's nice anybody, out there. If anybody ever wants to go for a hike, just yeah, contact me. I'll be happy to get something going. Fantastic. Here. <laughs> I'll put some uh, in, some contact information in the show notes, and yeah, definitely. along with links to some of the things we talked about and some birding resources and some apps. And great. All right. Yeah. Th- thanks, Mark. Great. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, I appreciate it. Bye. Bye. All right. All right. So what did we think of that? Good conversation, right? Uh, Mike's an interesting guy. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, next episode to come up will be Josh Lapsan, and that will be sometime next week, as soon as I can get that produced and up and out. So uh, have a great week, everybody, and I will talk to you soon. Bye. Yeah, 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 yeah.